Beautiful. Please be seated. What a great, great morning this is. I always love this day because of the extra hour of sleep. It's like my favorite day of the year. But to get to have this on top of that is amazing. And we are indebted to Naveen, who is making a difference as one of our ministers on staff. And I'm grateful for the leaders who have led us this morning uh, from every, uh, every place in the world. This is the Tallowood that God knows. And it occurred to us, you may not know that you have brothers and sisters from all around the world who are part of this church every week. And so we thought it might be good for you all just kind of in a family reunion to get to see each other and hear each other's voices and recognize who we are as the people of God, a church with some 30 or 40 different nationalities, but we're falling behind because the city, as Naveen says, has over a hundred different nationalities. And the great thing about Houston, I have learned in the last 23 plus years is you can do the great commission in your neighborhood. You can make disciples of all nations right where you live. And we're not the first church that has tried to do this. I was in preparation for today reading a book by a friend of mine named Rodney Wu. Some of you know Rodney. He uh, pastored uh, Wilcrest Baptist Church about five miles as the crow flies down by the Beltway going south, uh, going south of the West Park there on Wilcrest. And he went there in the mid-90s. Uh, Rodney and I studied together in seminary. His father is Chinese. His mother, I think, Anglo from the United States. And so his last name is Wu. And brilliant young man, great scholar. And Wilcrest is considering him as their pastor, but he would be the first person of any international descent that they have ever known as a pastor. And he, he shares in his book a, a sad story about how when he went there, uh, somebody on the committee said, I think we would feel better if you would add a D to the end of your name because your last name is Wu, but Wood sounds more like the people in our church, and it would be great if you would just add a D. Well, Rodney did not change his name, but he did become their pastor, and God changed their hearts and changed their church, and it became an amazing international church. In our prayer meeting Wednesday, Naveen quoted Michael Green, who tells us a little bit about our history. He says, the church had qualities unparalleled in the ancient world. Nowhere else in the ancient world could you find slaves and masters, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women, engaging in table fellowship and showing a real love for one another, and they didn't keep it to themselves. That love overflowed to outsiders, and in times of plague and disaster, the Christians showed it by means of their service to the communities in which they lived, in the early days, the quality of the Christians' lives was blazingly distinct. This is our history, a church that was from the beginning inclusive of all nations, Gentiles being brought in with Jews. And we heard in Revelation chapter 7, this is also our future all tribes and tongues and nations worshiping God together. I want to spend just a few moments thinking with you this morning 
about our present. Would you stand with me to read the word of God together? I'm reading from Romans chapter 15. This is just where we left off last week with that beautiful benediction in chapter six, in verse six and also in verse 13. And we talked about hope. Let's think together about being one church And would you share God's word with me? I'll read it to you from Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul writes, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore... I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Remember this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Pray with me. Father, what we know not teach us. What we have not give us. What we are not, make us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, thank you. Please be seated. So if you remember in the book of Genesis, there was a time when everybody on earth spoke the same language and it didn't go well because it was part of an insurrection against heaven, against God and At the Tower of Babel, all the languages of people were confused. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There was, after all, that wonderful moment at Pentecost when the Spirit of God came 
in a, a rushing wind and in a fire that lit on every head. And as a result, all the people in Jerusalem who were there for a festival, who spoke different languages from different cultures, they heard the good news of Jesus Christ and the praises of God in languages that they could understand. And as a result, that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ in a single day. And what happened that day was not the believers in Jerusalem starting an international ministry. What happened that day, post-Pentecost, that church at Jerusalem actually became an international church. And when persecution forced those believers out of Jerusalem, some of those were from Cyprus, Cypriots by birth, from the island of Cyprus off the coast of uh, Greece, there near Greece and Turkey today. And they went to a city in Antioch, what we would call Syria today, and there they shared their faith for the first time with Gentiles who became followers of Jesus Christ. And when these Gentiles became believers, then, then as the Apostle Paul came to teach them, that DNA became part of his DNA. Raised as a Hebrew of Hebrews, he went out, sent out by that church on the first great missionary journey, and he went to people, Gentiles, all over the ancient world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just want to be a voice today to say to you, in light of where we live, in light of the inclusiveness of the good news of Jesus Christ, in the clear light of the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, it is no longer enough for the church of Jesus Christ as we did back in the 70s and 80s just to begin international ministries. In fact, being an international church is our past, going all the way back to the beginning of the church at Pentecost, the first birth of the church. And being an international church, as we've heard in Revelation chapter 7, is our future. But because of what Jesus Christ is doing in this church and in our city, it's not just part of our past, it's not just part of our future, but it is part of our present. And looking at Paul's ministry and listening to what God did through him, I think shows us how we can grow as a church for the nations at Tallowood, and if I could just give you three words today that I think will be helpful to us, and you can just kind of track with me. The first word is welcome. The, the second word is worship. The third word is witness. We first welcome one another. Now, we started this series of sermons back in Romans chapter 12, and we find there that he, he says to us in that passage of Scripture that we we welcome one another. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And I studied this week, and that word hospitality, philoxenia in the original language, simply means love of strangers. It's obvious to me that love of strangers does not come easily to us. Uh, scientists tell us we have chemicals in our brains that make us love 
our own people. It's why when you see your cousin or your uncle or your, your nephew or your niece, something in your heart is stirred because there's something the way God designed us. We love our own people. But I just want you to know, as you look around this morning, these are your people. We are God's people. We are a chosen people, not to ancient Israel, not to modern Israel, not to future Israel, but to the church. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous, glorious light. So Paul says in Romans 12, 12 and 13, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, love the strangers among you. And then again and again in this passage as we've studied together in chapter 14, Verse one, accept one another, except if you have the ESV, it doesn't say accept, does it? What does it say? Welcome, welcome one another. Again, in Romans chapter 15, verse seven, welcome one another. And why do we welcome one another? How do we welcome one another? He says, as Christ has welcomed you. The same way Jesus opened his arms wide on the cross to save the whole world. We open our arms wide to receive the very people for whom Jesus Christ died. And I think about the goodness of God to us and how through the years that we've served here, God has allowed us to get to know people. I remember one night I went with one of our our deacons. We were visiting a family in our neighborhood who had visited our church. And when we got there, Uh, I remember a couple things. One is they had a pretty ferocious dog, and uh, that was a bit unnerving for me. And they put the dog away. And the second thing I remember is we sat down, and the husband said, so I'm from the Middle East, and my wife is from South America, but her dad was from Japan. And our daughter brings all of that together, and here we are in Houston, Texas. And then very sincerely, he looked at me, this man who lived in the shadow of our steeple, and said... So we don't have a family here. Will your church be our family? And I remember thinking, Lord, where have you brought us this place where the nations meet? Rice University, I mentioned it earlier, did a study and found that Houston, Texas is the most diverse city in the United States, more than New York City, more than Los Angeles, more than any other city in our country. You live in an international city. Doesn't it make sense that a church in this city would embrace the nations of people that God has brought to us. So we welcome the guest in our gates because Christ has welcomed us. And we welcome the guest in our gates, second thought, we welcome the guest in our gates because when we welcome each other, we are welcoming Christ. Think about Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, and Jesus is telling this parable and he says, uh, I was a stranger and you took me in. Mother Teresa used to say, we welcome Jesus in his distressing disguise. When we welcome the other, when we embrace another 
person, we are welcoming them. We are hearing about Afghanistan, maybe the latest people movement. We've had several in the years, the 20-something years I've been in Houston. I remember uh, God bringing a wave of people from China into our church, a wave of people from Iran, a wave of people from the Congo, and then lots of different nations along the way. But the newest thing we're hearing about is Afghanistan. It's in the news, as we know. And there's a remarkable story uh, about some missionaries we have who were in Pakistan uh, there, and there were refugees coming from Afghanistan, and uh, these were running for their lives from the Taliban, to be truthful, and they were getting into this Uh, into these refugee camps, and there were American Christian missionaries there ministering to these people. The Woodbury family was their name, and the Woodbury family, as they ministered to them, saw these children who were who were broken, who had lost parents, who were hurting, and, and, and they needed clothes and they needed shoes. But when they started giving shoes to these children, what they discovered was many of them, their feet were dirty, and, and they were bruised, and they were cut and scraped. And one of the missionaries said, we just need to wash their feet. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. We should wash the feet of these children. So they did. And then, you, you know, most of these people were Muslim. And one of their teachers was asking the children one day this question, who are the best Muslims? And one of the little girls said, the kafir. Now, that's the name, the Muslim name used to describe Christians. And this little girl said, the kafir. The Christians are the best Muslims. And the teacher was a little bit uh, disconcerted by this and said, why did you say that? And she said, because the Muslim fighters killed my father, but the kafir washed my feet. And those missionaries said, as they washed the feet of those children, they prayed, may they, Lord, May they remember your love and may they be drawn into relationship with you. The good news of the gospel is the same good news that's transformed us is fully capable of transforming all the people in our world. So Kenneth Martinez and his wife, Adi, came to the United States from Mexico in 2011. They immigrated to our country, became a part of our country. And when they heard about these Afghani refugees who are now pouring out of Afghanistan, they brought a family of four into their guest bedroom. And this is what Kenneth Martinez said, we know exactly what it feels like to come to a brand new country with no family or anything. So it's our honor, said Kenneth Martinez, to bring this family into our family. And here is the amazing news. As, as Gary Harrison said about, about the church, Gary Harrison said, it really doesn't matter what we do as a church. If, if our buildings, if our people don't say welcome no matter how much the church wants to reach out, growth will not happen if what we do doesn't welcome them. So listen to what he says again in 15 verse 7. Accept one another, welcome one another as Christ has accepted you to the praise and glory of God. What happens when we welcome each other? Well, this is the good news. Then worship begins to happen. So we welcome one another as an international church and then we worship together, and we've gotten to experience some of that today. The Apostle Paul, as he identifies his own ministry, 
he reaches back. Remember, he says, through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. And then he actually goes to the scriptures. I just referenced it last week, but I want to read these to you again. And I just want you to see what he says about the Gentiles. And I want you to know the Greek word for Gentiles is this word, ethnes. Sound familiar? It's also translated nations, but it also gives us our word ethnic and ethnicity, the nations. And this is what the Apostle Paul, who was a confirmed member of the Jewish faith, he was part of Judaism, and then he finds Christ, and that Judaism is completed in Christ. And he starts quoting from the scriptures, and and first he quotes uh, David, who says in, in verse nine, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name and then rejoice you Gentiles. And then he says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And in this root of Jesse, Jesus, the Gentiles will have hope. We will extol the Lord together. So here it is. We worship together and we're very aware as we have this morning that we worship together in song. So I just, I just can't tell you to my ears how beautiful it was to hear in different languages and then to hear us all together in English sing, holy, 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 and to recognize that he is the Lord God almighty. And in our singing, Paul envisioned that unbelievers would hear us and say, God is among them. They might not even understand everything we mean by our words, but they would recognize something. I read a beautiful story of a young Hindu man who found his way into a a small house in India where Christians were worshiping, and he said a woman raised a tambourine, and then they began to sing this song together. I want you to see the words that they sang at this little church, this little house church in India. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace is he saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer. Praise his name. And this is what that young man said. I knew immediately that the God to whom they were singing, Jesus, was different than the pantheon of gods that we had in India because nobody had a relationship. I had never heard anybody say about a God in India, he's wonderful, he's close to me, he's my prince of peace. And I knew they had a relationship. And then when they talked about him saving us from shame and guilt, he said, I had never heard that I could be forgiven. And he found Christ in the singing of God's people. Some of you were with me uh, at that concert that we went to on Thursday night, Lauren Daigle singing, um, I believe what you say of me, such powerful words. And I said to to some of our friends this morning, that concert was healing for me. The songs that she sang reminded me that God receives us, that he welcomes us. And as we we worshiped together, the songs that she sang, new songs, old songs, and her songs, and all of those songs, a reminder to us that, that the good news of Jesus Christ leads us to worship together in song. Again, you see it in Revelation uh, chapter 7, uh, especially there in verses 9 to 11. And you got all these from all these different tribes, the 144,000. And then he says, then I see this un- innumerable crowd in verse 9. And they're from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And they are gathered together and they're wearing these white robes and they're singing to God and they're holding palm branches. We're going to worship together in song, I think through all of eternity. But Paul reminds us in these verses that worship is ultimately about being living 
sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So watch him in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What? Singing my favorite song? Well, that, that is worship, but only in the sense that it enables me to make my life an offering to God. So watch Paul bring this full circle and talk about his ministry in Romans 15, 16. And he says, God made me a minister. That's the word for liturgy, liturgeo. Uh, God's given me this official worship work uh, of Christ Jesus to the nations, to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty. So Paul says, I'm a priest proclaiming the gospel of God. Why? So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable, acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So I've told you in recent days, the words that God keeps bringing to me, hope, we talked about that last Sunday, Holiness, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And it's here. So the point of worship is not that I get to do what I want to do. I know we all know what we love and love what we know in worship. But of course, the point of worship is not us at all. We worship for an audience of one, and we're trying to be pleasing to him, and we offer ourselves to him. And to be holy simply means to be set apart for God. So the question of worship is, Am I more set apart for God as I leave than when I came? Jim Elliott talked about the unholiness in his generation, this missionary to the Aka Indians who gave his life. He said, I'm dwelling in a generation to whom nothing is holy. I wonder what he would say if he lived today. I'm dwelling in a generation to whom nothing is holy. Oh, to be holy, just to sense for a moment that I have somehow, however small, simulated some measure of your character, Lord Jesus, he prayed. A word from Horatius Bonar spoke to me tonight. Holiness is not austerity or gloom. It's the offspring of conscious present peace. And Oswald Chambers, who simply asked this question, am I becoming more and more in love with God as a holy God or with the conception of an amiable being who says, oh well, sin doesn't matter much. Who am I becoming? Am I falling more in love with a God who's holy or do I see him as this sort of senile benevolence as C.S. Lewis called him, he sort of pats us on the head and says, do whatever you want to do. No, to worship is to give your life as a holy, pleasing sacrifice to God to say, Lord, my life is no longer mine, it's yours. I belong to you because you're the only one who bought me with a price. You're the only one who gave your life for me. You're the only one who shed your blood for me. So what you want for my life is what really matters and I want what you want. Your will be done on earth, in my house, in my life, in my eyes, in my mouth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it means to worship. And then finally, the, the last word, and I share this with you, that we would witness to others, that we would share our faith. So Paul, again and again in these verses, notice in verse 14, uh, he says, look, I think you can do this, church. I feel the same way about, about Tallowood that Paul felt about the church in Rome. They're brothers and sisters, full of goodness, with knowledge, competent to instruct one another. When I think about the people who teach the Bible in this church, I am so grateful, and God has gifted you, and you use those gifts for his glory. And Paul says, my ministry is to take the good news of Jesus to all people, to the Gentiles. So in Romans 15, 16, he says, I, I have this priestly duty of what? Proclaiming the gospel 
of God. He'll say it again in verse 19 and 20. By the power of signs and wonders. Remember, he raised Eutychus back to life through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is, by the way, Bulgaria. And we have members of our church in Bulgaria this morning watching this, uh, this worship service with us. And he says, I want to preach Christ. I want to proclaim the good news. Look, here's the thing. The church has good news. In a bad news world, I'm going to say it one more time. I know you've heard me say it, but I I wonder if you hear my heart when I say this to you. Our message to the world is not to wring our hands in despair and look at the ground and say, oh no, look what the world has come to. No, our message is to lift our eyes in delight and say, look who has come to the world. So going back to the beginning, our ministry was to make disciples of all nations. That's our future. We are all in, folks. If you say, where's Tallawood going from here? What's our vision for the next 10 years? Oh, we are going to be the kind of church that learns about Jesus, that follows him, that lives like he lived and leads others to do the same. And by the way, God has brought all the nations to our city so that we can do this. We are committed to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They got that easily. In Judea, Samaria was a bit of a reach for them. Remember, Philip was the one who went and preached, and God used him there, but to the ends of the earth. Did they succeed? Well, here's all you need to know about whether they succeeded in fulfilling that. You're here. If you ever wonder, who are we? Are we Jerusalem? Are we Judea? Are we? No, you're the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. And the gospel made it all the way here. I think of David Livingston, who volunteered as a missionary with the London Missionary Society. And they asked him, where do, where do you want to go? And he said, anywhere, so long as it is forward. Tala would hear my heart today. I'll go anywhere with you, church, so long as it is forward. We're not going back to the past. We're not, we're not going to d- just celebrate who we have been, but we are going to cultivate a church for the nation so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. And what is your part in that? Well, it's, it's to welcome everybody you run into to become a part of our community. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter where you came from. Welcome people and then worship together. So when we're in this room, we're all in. We're singing like we mean it, like those people at the Lauren Daigle concert with their eyes, like me, I was one of them, eyes full of tears, hands lifted up to God saying, God, thank you that what you say is true of us. Because there's so many other voices in our heads these days telling us other things about who Christians are. We need to hear news from another network. And here's what I notice about news in the English language, that in it, it has a little acronym, N-E-W-S, North, East, West, South. Pray this for our church, that we'll take the good news and that people will come from the North, from the east, from the west, and from the south. And listen, here's what I want to say to you this morning. You may not personally have to cross the world, though some of you travel around the world. And by the way, when you do, take Jesus with you. But we will certainly need to cross the street. And like my friend Dr. Rodney Wu, you don't have to change your name. But I promise you, God will change our hearts 
He will change who we are. Beautiful, beautiful story about a Christian couple who went as missionaries up to Toronto, Canada. And while they were there, the, the wife said, I've got to get my hair fixed while I'm here. And she went to a particular place and there was a Filipino lady there who was fixing her hair and immediately said to her, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, are you? And this missionary said, yes, I'm here to help other people come to know Jesus. And the lady who owned the beauty shop said, me too. I mean, I fix hair, but I'm here to help people know Jesus. The next time the missionary's wife came in, there was a, another lady who fixed her hair. She was from China. They started talking. She said, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. My boss led me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So we got a Filipino and a, a Chinese lady. The next time she came in, there was a lady from Somalia. This missionary recognized some things and said, are you from Somalia? Yes, I'm from Somalia. She knew most people from Somalia are, are Muslim. And so she was being careful about what she said. And finally, the lady looked at her, sensing what she was thinking and said, don't worry. I believe in Jesus too. The, the other lady, the Chinese lady, led me to become. And, th and so it goes. And so it grows from Filipino to Chinese to Somalian to American in Canada. Our God, it turns out, is the God of the whole earth. And he wants the whole world to come to him. And this week I was reminded as we said goodbye to one of our friends, Jerry Mitchell, who was a member here for years and recently moved to King of Prussia, Pennsylvania with his job. And just a few weeks ago, he died suddenly, unexpectedly. Very difficult death for us to comprehend, 56 years old in the prime of his life. And uh, his wife said to me, you know, he remembered one of your sermons. Now, this is what every preacher hopes, that somebody will remember, like, like I remember somebody, you know, will anybody ever remember anything I said? And, and I said, what did he remember? And she said, he remembered that time when you came back from Africa and your daughter and your wife picked you up at the airport, which, by the way, no aspersions on these ladies, they're here, they never do that. I always like get myself home, but they were there that day and I was like, isn't this wonderful? My wife and my daughter love me and they're welcoming me home. And my daughter about five minutes into the drive home said, I want a dog. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, that's why you're here. I get it, okay. So, you know, we don't even unpack our bags. We go straight to the SPCA because what she wants, she gets, right? So we know, I'm just kidding. So we go to the SPCA and we're there and they're trying, there's this big dog, this big Labrador and he's rambunctious and annoying and they said, you might like this dog and we grab the leash and he takes the leash away from us and growls at us and the lady says, that's why nobody adopts you because you take the leash away and you growl at people. What is wrong with you? And we're walking around and my wife likes one dog and uh, that meant that, that we weren't gonna get that dog. And then there was another dog and another, and, and we walked right past one and then we came back and there was one who was three months old and we, we've, you know, and so a little Paisley and we get Paisley and Paisley's still at our house. But I should never go into that place and this is what I said that day because I looked around at those dogs and I was like, I want them all. I don't want to leave one dog, not one. And can I just tell you, can I just tell you, that's what God was saying when he sent his only son into the world. He knew about the nations. He knew people would speak different languages and have different cultures. But when God sent his only son into the world, what he was trying to say is, I want them all. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose again. And that's why we sing. And that's why we worship. 
because God wants us all. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for Jesus who found a way to find us. And I pray today, God, that you will give us the grace to believe your good news, to welcome one another, Lord, as you have welcomed us. Lord, to worship together with abandon, to be caught and caught up in worship because in our presence might be somebody who doesn't believe in you. And as Paul says, they might say, there is a God because these people are worshiping someone. And God, I pray that you will help us wherever we go this week simply to tell what you have done for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.